The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you are able uh, to remain standing for the reading of God's Word, please do so. And turn with me to John chapter 18. Now let me go ahead and say immediately uh, that this is um, not a long, long, but a little bit longer reading. And uh, so uh, you uh, just gauge yourself in that ability. Um, uh, John 18, uh, beginning at verse uh, 28. Now if you would look with me in John chapter 18 and verse 28. This is God's word and God's word is true. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but would eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourself and judge him by your own law. And then Jesus said to him, is it not? It is not lawful for us. Uh, I'm sorry. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered into his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him 
no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and set down these words. He brought and, and Jesus came out and he brought Jesus out and came down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. The Apostles' Creed is an economic distillation of biblical truth concerning New Testament Christianity. Let me say it again. It is an economical that is, it is not wordy at all. It is an economical distillation of essential truth, not all the essentials, but essential truth of what is New Testament Christianity rooted in apostolic teaching that you find in called the New Testament. It was created as a discipleship tool and as a protection against false doctrine. And in it is this statement that we arrive at today, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now, I have to confess to you, every time I uh, uh, think of that, I think of the, I don't know whether this is true or not. I'm just hoping it is. It's too good not to hope that it's true. Um, the, the teacher of the Sunday school class, fifth grade Boys Sunday School class. <clears throat> no greater challenge exists under the sun than that class. And, of course, every class has a Johnny in it. Uh, if it's a Christian Sunday School class, Johnny's going to be in there. And the teacher decided, well, I've taught them about the life of Jesus, so I'm going to give them assignment to be creative. Take out a piece of paper and draw for me a picture that depicts some part of the life of Jesus. And after 30 minutes, after 30 minutes, she took up the pictures and Johnny gave her his. She anticipated it. She looked at it and uh, she was astonished because on the paper was this large airplane with four people in it. And she said, what is this, Johnny? Well, you said to give an event in the life of Jesus. So look at the title, The Flight to Egypt. That's funny, folks. I just want you to know that. The Flight to Egypt. She said, okay. Uh, yeah, that's in the Bible, The Flight to Egypt. That's not quite the way I explained it, but that's in there. And she said, now, who are the four people in the plane? She said, he said, Mary, uh, Joseph. And baby Jesus. And and she said, okay, but who is the fourth one? She said, oh, that's Pontius the Pilate. 
Do you know how long I've waited for some sermon where I could tell that story? I did, and I finally arrived. In fact, that may be the reason I was led to preach the Apostles' Creed uh, from the text of Scripture. But seriously now, but interestingly, out of that picture, three of the four that Johnny drew are in your Apostles' Creed. That's it. Jesus of Nazareth. I believe in God's Son. I believe in Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the only Son of God. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And now we arrive at suffered under Pontius Pilate. Now we can see Jesus in the creed. We can certainly see Mary after our study last week in the creed. But why? An unconverted, as far as we know, unconverted pagan governor who can't even muster the moral courage to render a true verdict in a courtroom of innocent, even though he repeatedly says innocent. Why would he be in there? Why in the economy of so few words... Now, this is, a, this is an economic creed. They've clearly thought through the words that are going to be in there as it arrives to us in its original form, and then it was written out formally in Latin. And what becomes abundantly clear, abundantly clear in the creed is that it focuses on two things, who God is and what God has done. Who God is, you just did it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, being, three persons in His being. And what God has done. I believe in God the Father, Creator of heaven and earth. Now that's not all the Father has done, but you, you can't get the gospel right if you don't understand the doctrine of creation. And that God is the Creator of all things, visible and invisible. So the creed puts that part of what God the Father has done present for us because it's foundational. And then, what do you believe concerning God the Son? I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. That I believe that He is the Redeemer. And then, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So we have who God is, one God in three persons, what God does, creation, redemption, providence and coming king and judge so that's who god is what god does then you get to the center part of the creed where out of if you take all the words and number them and count them in the latin if you take them don't ask me to read it in the latin i wouldn't be able to make it all the way through but if you take all of them and count them you'll find out that exactly three-fourths of the words used in the creed are devoted to the second affirmation of jesus christ and again it doesn't focus on what jesus taught it focused on who he is I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. And then what Jesus did 
conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. Who he is and what he has done. So why this phrase in the middle of three-fourths of the Apostles' Creed, three-fourths of it, is to, and is used up with this and that three four section. Some of that those words are used up by suffered under Pontius Pilate. Four valuable words are used. Why? You know, one of my great prayers through all of this is that when you do the Apostles' Creed after we finish this series, you will never mumble it again. That you will enter into it. Confessing these truths revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through the apostles. That's why each one of them, I'm taking you back to where they're written by the apostles, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And why these things are quoted right out of there and included. Why they're so important to be put in this. And suffered under Pontius Pilate does not deserve mumbling either. It's there for a distinct reason. Now, Pastor, what do you think that reason might be? Well, I think it's got two reasons. It's in there that you and I need to understand when we say suffered under Pontius Pilate. What are we ultimately? What are we apostolic saying? Well, here's the first thing. You are with this statement. You are confessing that Christianity, you are confessing the historicity of Christianity, that Christianity is being affirmed as a historical reality. It is not a matter of philosophical speculation. It is not a matter of myth. I think it's Bishop Sprong who said Christianity uh, is built around a man who may or may not have existed But we have an entrance myth called the virgin birth and an exit myth called the resurrection. Well, that's the statement of unbelief. But in the Apostles' Creed, we say what we believe. And part of what we're saying when we're saying suffered under Pontius Pilate, just like when we say Jesus, just like when we say Mary, we are affirming this. These are real events by real people in real time. It is historic, not only the historicity of Jesus of Nazareth, the historicity of a virgin Mary who gave birth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, but also the historicity of the real person, Pontius Pilate. In fact, I think it can safely be said, not only does this bring us to the fact that the Apostles' Creed is bringing to us from the apostolic, spirit-filled writing, spirit-led and spirit-inspired writing of the New Testament about what is Christianity, but it's also following the pattern. In fact, when you look at the, uh, when you look at the Apostles, um, when they begin to speak of these matters, they will speak of the birth and then the death and then the resurrection of Jesus. That's the, those are the essence, essential truths. And so it is in the Apostles' Creed. I, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Um, and then we go, born of the Virgin Mary. I mean, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And then we jump 33 years. Suffered 
under Pontius Pilate. Jumped 33 years. But even as we do it, we find ourselves back into a historic, not only a historical Mary, but a historical man who is, humanly speaking, in charge of this moment. His name is Pontius Pilate. He is historical. He is a historical reality, and he is in charge of this moment. In other words, the real death on a cross, the real burial. He was crucified, dead, and buried would never have happened Humanly speaking, without Pontius Pilate. That's why they said, he said, you got your law, go, go do your own trial. They said, no, we want to be put to death. And of course, they wanted death on the cross, which is fulfilling a prophecy that he would suffer upon a tree. And then, but they said, we can't do it without you. Why? Because Pilate is persona publica. He is, he is the one who is appointed by the ruling authority in the providence of God, the Roman Empire, and the Emperor Caesar has put this man right here so all of the military, legal, political, economic power of Rome is right there when he sits on that seat at that stone of pavement called Gabbatha. There is all of human authority. And Jesus will not get to that cross, humanly speaking, unless Pilate allows him to go there. He will not be buried in a tomb unless Pilate allows it to be done. He will not be suffer unless Pilate authorizes it. Pilate is the pivotal moment in history of the work of redemption. Again, please hear me. Humanly speaking, that will take on more meaning in just a very few minutes. But without Pilate, that doesn't happen. He's the one, the only one that can give the, that can allow him to be crucified, allow him to be put in a tomb instead of a pit with the rest of the criminals. He is the only one that can do that. And this is a real person in real history about to make real decisions. And all of scripture is being fulfilled in Isaiah 52 and 53. He is despised, rejected, forsaken by man. He is crushed under the wrath of God, suffered under Pontius Pilate. You know, it's really interesting. I'm making this point that it's historical. Do you know up until 1961 that was denied? Up until 1961... All of the critical theologians, all of the critical commentaries, there's no record outside of the scripture of any governor named Pontius Pilate. It's another myth. You got an entrance myth, the virgin birth. You got an exit myth, the resurrection and the ascension. You got another myth. Yeah, you got to get somebody to get it done. Let's create somebody that's a pawn for all of this. His name is Pontius Pilate. That's what they said. And they kept Just show us somewhere in Roman history where his name is used. Of course, later on that was found, but... Um, but uh, but they, questioned, they they denied its existence until 1961. <laughs> Some Italian, um, uh, um, what do you call them? Dig around. Uh, thank you, archaeologists. 
wasn't one of my classes in school. Uh, the, the archaeologists are digging around there in a place called Caesarea by the Sea. Now, why is that important? Because that's a place where Herod the Great built one of his palaces. And after his death, it became the governor's headquarters. The governor's headquarters for Rome was not in Jerusalem. Uh, he would go there and stay in Herod's son's old palace. But here, uh, here he would, um, here he would uh, stay, uh, here he would stay in Herod's old palace that he had built there, this grand thing. I, I take people there and walk them through where this was done. And then right outside in a trash heap, they couldn't cover the stone. And what did the stone say? Temple dedicated to Tiberius, the emperor, by Pontius Pilate. And there it exists. A real historical figure. And the key is, at that moment, in that place, he is Rome. He is publica persona. He is the one that is appointed by the Caesar with all of the authority of the Caesar to enact the laws of Rome. Jesus will go through six trials, three Jewish and three and three uh, uh, Gentile. And you've just had read for you a, a summation of the three Gentile. First of all. He came to Pilate, and Pilate didn't want him in his inbox. So as soon as he found out he was a Galilean, he sent him on over to Herod. Well, Herod didn't want him in his inbox. He was, he was glad to see him because he had heard a lot about him. But then he began to mock him, and he sent him back to Pilate. So he arrives back on Pilate's step. Pilate, you've got to do something about this. You can't pass the buck somewhere else. It is now before you. Now, what will you do? That's where we get to our second point. Here's our second point. Suffered under Pontius Pilate is Christianity affirmed officially. It's documented. It's declared. Officially in the context of the sovereign hand of God in the ruling empire of Rome. And it is documented by dialogue and exchange. Pontius Pilate will initiate what needs to be done for Jesus to suffer and then the cross and then buried and the place of the dead and then raised on the third day. But when he gets there, things transpire. He answers five. There are five questions he asks and he wants answered. Don't miss them. It's part of the reason they've included him. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Then two questions are asked of him. Then he makes two declarations. The first question that's asked of him is this. Or that he asks is this of Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Are you the Messiah, are you the anointed one, the prophet, the priest and the king promised to through the Jews to come as the Messiah to deliver them and to rule over them? Are you the king of the Jews? Interesting, isn't it? He was asked that question by the chief priest. He was asked that question by the people and he was asked that question by Pilate. He never answered the priest, the chief priest or the people. 
But he did answer Pilate. And his answer was, you have said so yourself. You have said so yourself. And you wouldn't have been able to say so. And I quote him, if it had not been given to you. You cannot say that Jesus is the Messiah unless the grace of God allows you either through a saving relationship where you confess him as your Savior and Lord. Or in common grace, you just acknowledge that he is who he says he is. Pilate had inadvertently acknowledged him in God's common grace, not savingly, but in God's common grace had acknowledged him. And Jesus says, you have said so because it was given to you. To confess Christ is a work of God's grace because the natural heart says no to Christ. Give me Barabbas. That's the natural heart. So he answers Pilate. He doesn't answer the chief priests. Then from the judgment seat, he asks this question. Now, it's interesting. He's at the judgment seat. And you'll find the other accounts of Pilate in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then the one I read in John. So I'm drawing on the other three, although I didn't take you there to read it because that's all I would have ended up doing is just reading. And, uh, but I am going to draw upon them because in, the, in, the other, in another account, it tells us that when he took his place at this pavement, this seat, this stone of judgment, when he took his place there and courts in session, the judge has come, is that he gets a counselor to come to him and taps him on his shoulder. That's a counselor he didn't invite, but he would not turn down. It's called his wife. And she taps him on the shoulder and she says to him, I've got some advice. Have nothing to do with this righteous man. Have nothing to do with this Righteous man, for I have suffered much in a dream on account of him. And here she gives her verdict, and the court hasn't even moved forward. This righteous man. Then comes a, another question. Uh, that um, uh, from that judgment seat, when the wife speaks to him, he then his second question isn't directed to Jesus it's directed to the people. He says, what would you have me to do with Jesus? What do you want me to do? Do you want me to release this Jesus to you? And they say, no, no, we want Barabbas. We want the insurrectionist. We want the murderer. We want the terrorist. We want the thief. That's who we want. That's the heart of man. No to Jesus, yes to sin. And so when he asked them from the judgment seat, that is their statement to him. He then to ask a third question of the he asked a third question, and this one's directed to the people. So what shall I do to this man? Their answer is quick. Their answer is Crucify him, not just put him to death, not just simply punish him. Put him to death on a cross. Crucify him. And you can see the prophecy that the suffering servant Messiah shall hang upon a tree, for cursed is he who hangs upon the tree. But they don't stop there in the answer. 
They say crucify him. That's what we want you to do with him. And then they make this statement. Let his blood, let his blood be upon us and our children. We come to a fourth question that he asked. And the fourth question is this. He then says to the people again, what evil has he done? And they said, well, he claims to be a king and we have no king but Caesar. How quickly we look to the kings and rulers of this world as our deliverers. Here are people that ought never to have said that if they went to synagogue school at all. Yeah, we'll honor Caesar, but he's not our king. Ultimately, the Lord is our king. I mean, we've got a whole Old Testament teaching us that. And the kings that rule over us are to be honored and respected and prayed for, but they are not where our hope is. But they say, not only crucify him, but the evil is, is he would say that he is king. You do know nothing's changed. The exclusivity of King Jesus as Lord and Savior is still a scandal. They'll take any king but Jesus. It's still a scandal unless the Holy Spirit works in the heart. And then he comes back to Jesus and he says to Jesus, do you not know that I have the authority to? He asked him another question. Do you not know I have the authority to crucify you or release you? And Jesus says to him, what? Don't forget this. He said, you would have no authority if it had not been given to you. Caesar didn't put you here. I put you here. There is no authority that is established apart from the sovereign hand of God. No authority. Now, folks, please remember that. We happen to live in a society we get to vote for those who are in authority. And many times, and you ought to exercise that right. You ought to exercise it prayerfully. You ought to exercise it thoughtfully. You ought to exercise it passionately. But if the vote doesn't go your way, it never Never, never does any election outvote God. He uses Cyrus's and Nebuchadnezzar's. He uses Pontius Pilate. You wouldn't have this authority if it hadn't been given to you. And then Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I am the king. And Pilate says, what has been said all the way from the garden, what is truth? As far as Rome was, truth was whatever Caesar and the power of Rome said it was. That's what truth is. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. Pilate's answer is what is truth? Jesus' answer is, I am the truth. And so the questions have been asked. Now, two questions will come to Pilate as persona publica. Question number one will come from Joseph of Arimathea. Normally, the body of one crucified is thrown into a pit, the criminal pit. He asked, can I have the body to lay in my tomb? I have one nearby. And Pilate affirms it. 
and the scriptures are fulfilled. That his body would be laid in a new tomb of a rich man. And then another question comes to this Pilate. Another question that is addressed to him, this time from the chief priest. He's been teaching on the third day he's going to rise again. His disciples may come and steal the body. Will you seal the tomb and place a guard? He says, see to it. Another historical truth, the resurrection and its supernatural dynamic and theological impact is going to be affirmed because now he answers yes to that question. See to it. And the guards are put in place over the tomb. And then comes two declarations. Don't miss them. Two declarations by Pilate. Behold, echo, the man. He's not simply, see this guy. God has sovereignly at this moment allowed Pilate to say, Behold the man. By a man comes death. By this man comes life. There is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Behold the man. And then he says, I find no guilt within him. I find no guilt within him. Then he says, Behold your king. Behold your king. And to affirm it with exclamation, he has it put on a plaque, placed on the cross, in the three languages of the world, the Greek, Aramaic, and, um, and the Latin, that would declare, This is the king. The one that he says, what do you want me to do with this Jesus, the Christ? He has already five times acknowledged he's the Christ. Now he adds three more to it. Behold the king and placards it. Who is dying here? It is the Messiah. And the most powerful man under the power of the Roman Empire that is available to do it by the appointment of Caesar so placards it at that moment. So what is the implication? Let me give you the takeaway and we'll close in prayer. Next time you do suffered under Pontius Pilate, this is what you're saying with those four words. The historical and official Historical, real lifetime in history. The historical and official moment as Jesus stood before Pilate reveals who is sovereign, who is innocent, and who is going to suffer that the guilty might not only be forgiven, but declared guiltless and innocent. Without this pivotal hinge moment in history, that officially declares it and sets in motion everything else that's coming in your creed. Crucified, dead, buried, descends to the place of the dead, is risen on the third day, ascends back into heaven 
after his after his resurrection and his 40 days of ministry. Well, all of that, none of that, humanly speaking, would have ever happened without the sovereign allowance and the sovereign decisions and the sovereignty of political, economic and military power of Pontius Pilate. Yet we see in the very trial, it's not Pilate that's sovereign. It's God that is sovereign. Who's in control? Not the accuser, not the judge, but the accused one is sovereign in the trial is sovereign in appointing the one who is at the trial pilot who would not be there without his authority. That is the one who is sovereign all. So please remember that in the moments where you and I might have the greatest despair because of the irrationality, the immorality and the corruption of all that is around us by those who would rule over us. You remember your confidence isn't there to begin with. Even if an election turns out the way you want it or the way it doesn't want it, your confidence never shifts. It's never directed to the one that's there. It's directed to the one who puts them there. And he rules and he overrules. That doesn't mean you're irresponsible. That doesn't mean apathy. It doesn't mean you don't pray about it. But it does mean your confidence is in the Lord who appoints Pontius Pilate to initiate the suffering that will save you from your sins. And seven times he's affirmed the Christ. And seven times in the trial, he's never guilty. He's always, I find no evil. I find no guilt. This man is innocent. Yet he sends him. Here is the most pristine legal system. In fact, our legal system to a large degree is built on the Roman jurisprudence. But Pilate does not have the moral courage to do what the system demanded. And that's to let him go. The culture, the people, the politics took hold of him. If you think it, I mean, if you get upset with it taking hold of a court, a Supreme Court or anything, here's one right here. Where the politics and the culture took over and he rendered, he kept trying to find a way to release him. He wanted to release him. He sent him to Herod. He said, I'll exchange him for somebody else. He wants to release him. He knows he all, this man is innocent. This man is righteous. Yet he cannot because a sovereign God is at working showing the inadequacies of human court systems because there's another court system that's at work here. You'll notice Jesus never says, I'm innocent. Even though he is innocent. He doesn't say I'm innocent because there's another court in place. There's another court in session. It is the divine court of God's judgment. And he is not innocent because he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Our sins and the wrath of God is laid upon him. And the court system that can't do what it ought to do. Is sovereignly being used what God has appointed it to do. That he would go to the cross and pay for our sins that we could have everlasting life. Folks, it's obvious who's in control here. 
It's the sovereignty of God and the sovereign Jesus, the one who's standing in the place of judgment. Six trials, it's obvious. Seven times, innocent, guiltless, no evil. Seven times, this is the Christ, even placarded at his cross. And he never defends himself. Why? Well, the Roman system of justice is incapable of even doing what's right. But the divine court of justice is making another transgression. The guiltless is taking the place of the guilty. So that the guilty might be declared innocent. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That it might become the righteousness of God in him. And God put Pilate right there at this pivotal point to accomplish the divine imperative. The Messiah would save sinners to the glory of God at the cross, at the cross. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh, 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 it causes me to tremble. It is this one, Jesus, who goes to that cross and suffers guilt, my, my wrath for my guilt, and seals my pardon with his blood because in my place, he is the one who stood for me. You know, there's a moment in this text that's a frightening moment when they say, let his blood be upon us and our children. Yet in the sovereignty of God, that's my prayer every day. Because he was crucified, dead and buried. Oh, God. Let his blood be upon me and wash me clean. Because he took my place. And I will be a God to you and to your children after you. Let it be upon my children. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments we could be together in your word. Thank you, Jesus. That you have done what we could not do to save us. For without you we cannot be saved. Bearing sins, my sins, and scoffing rude. In our place condemned he stood. Sealed our pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a savior. Make this prayer, if you haven't yet, Jesus, I do now receive you more than all in you I find. You have granted me forgiveness. I am yours. And you are mine. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. 
For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.